unexpected figures in Matthew chapter 1. Surprising singling out of four women before the narration about the birth of Jesus through the mother Mary. And this morning, beloved of God, we're going to look particularly at Rahab. Salmon, we learn in verse 5, was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 2, where we have largely the story about Rahab. Beloved, listen to God's word. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the, main, the men came to me, but I did not know where they'd come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear has, of you has fallen on us who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. If any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it you say. So she sent them away and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went into the hill and stayed there three days 
until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down to the hills, forwarded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Tamar, and now Rahab, and then Ruth and Sheba. Unexpected figures, great, great to the exponent grandmothers of Jesus, singled out for special mention. Because they were special, really special. We've seen this, I hope, with Tamar, but what about now with Rahab? Why does Matthew include Rahab, a prostitute, in his perfectly balanced genealogy with three sets of 14 generations or six sets of seven generations of families leading to Jesus who therefore inaugurates the seventh of seven generations, clearly the consummating and climactic one of them all. Why Rahab? Well, beloved, allow me to draw out this morning for you some similarities between the story of Joshua and the falling of Jericho, which harbors this story of Rahab at its center, and the story of Moses from the exodus from Egypt. Because I think this will actually shed some very interesting light on the significance of Rahab for Matthew, as well as for the church today. And I encourage you as we begin this, I encourage you at some point to go back and read the first six chapters of Exodus and then flip directly to the first six chapters of Joshua and read them back to back. I think you'll find some fascinating similarities, some correspondences both linguistically and thematically that will set some light bulbs off. Because you see, beloved, the correspondences between these two stories are rather thick. And I'm going to use a variety of slides this morning because I really think it will help to show what I'm talking about. I'm not going to read the texts that are on the slides. I'm going to entrust you to look at them and to see the correspondences as I draw the correspondences out more thematically. So here we go. And I'll use some headers. Let's see if this machine is going to work for me. Okay, because I really want control of the slides. So far it's not. It worked, it worked when we practiced. Let's see. Should I turn it off and on, maybe? Oh, is that you or me? Okay. Um, let's see if I get the next one. Hmm. Okay. This could be challenging. Let me turn it off and turn it on. We'll see what happens. Sorry, everybody at home. Just go grab a eggnog latte and uh, come back and sit down and... It did work in practice. Let me see if I'm just going to test this out. Sorry, otherwise I'm going to put an undue pressure on the back. Isn't that funny, eh? Oh, maybe, let's see if I did something wrong. Ha! Okay. You know what? That might have been me. 
Okay. Sorry, everybody. I really wanted these slides to work this morning. So thank you for your patience. I, I flicked this little button here, so it was not them at the back. It was totally me. Anyways, watch these correspondences. I'm going to go fairly quickly, but not too fast, because I actually want you to see this, to see the beauty of God's word. So Passover. Just as Moses, conquering of Pharaoh in the sea is immediately preceded by a Passover celebration, Exodus 12, 21. So is Joshua's conquering of Jericho immediately preceded by a Passover celebration, Joshua 5, 10. Circumcision. Just as Moses' conquering of Pharaoh is immediately also preceded by the circumcision of males in Israel, Exodus 12:44 so too is Joshua's conquering of Jericho immediately also preceded by the circumcision of males in Israel Joshua 5:2 the similarities go on there's a theophany a revelation of God a special revelation of God as Moses had once received a vision of God Exodus 3:1 through 6 so Joshua receives a vision of God. As you can see in the longer text here. Sandals. As Moses is told within this vision of God to, quote, take off his sandals because the ground upon which he is standing is holy ground, Exodus 3, 3, so too is Joshua told to take off his sandals because the ground upon which he is standing is holy ground, Joshua 5, 15. The timing of these theophanies, as Moses receives God just prior to being sent into Egypt to do battle against it while delivering God's people, Exodus 3, 7 through 8, so too does Joshua receive this vision of God just prior to being sent into Jericho to do battle against it while delivering the prostitute Rahab. 6 verse 2. Emmanuel. As God assures Moses that I will be with you, so too the Lord assures Joshua that he will be with him and notice just as he was with Moses. Joshua 1 verse 5. And that is not yet the end of the correspondences. Divided waters. Moses exits Egypt by way of miraculously divided waters. Exodus 14 21. So too Joshua enters into Canaan as he approaches Jericho by way of miraculously divided waters. Joshua 3, 15 through 16. Dry ground. As Israel with Moses passes through explicitly on dry ground. Exodus 14, 22. So Israel with Joshua, you've guessed it, once again passes through on dry ground. Joshua 3, 17. Manna. As Israel enters the desert with Moses and begins to receive manna from heaven, Exodus 16 and 4. So, on the flip side, once Israel, with poetic balance, exits the desert with Joshua, they stop receiving manna from heaven. Joshua 5, 11 through 12. You can see all the correspondences, the parallels, linguistic and thematic. Long story short, folks, the story of Joshua is deliberately patterned by the inspired author of Scripture to echo, to imitate, 
to resonate with the story of Moses and the Exodus. We are to see that in the same sort of way and with the same sort of guidance that God led Israel out of Egypt under the hand of Moses, so too in the same way does God lead Israel into Canaan, the promised land under the hand of Joshua. The same God who elevates Moses elevates Joshua. The same God who rescues the one gives victory to the other, and in the same sort of way. No wonder the author of Hebrews can tell us that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is. And here's the thing. The story of Rahab, the prostitute, nested within this larger story of Joshua, is not excluded from this patterning. In fact, in a fantastic and spectacular moment of Hebrews, literary artistry, and poetic finesse under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. The story of Rahab is stylized as another mini exodus, all in and of itself. It's a little mini exodus of Rahab. Once again, to see this, just take a look at the parallels, and I'll put this succinctly. Firstborn, Just as the final plague in Egypt is the plague against the firstborn, Exodus 12, 29, so too is the final note about Jericho, a note about the potential death of the firstborn, Joshua 6 and 26. Houses. However, as Israel and Egypt are themselves able to escape this death only by following the command of God to harbor in their homes, you remember that feature of the story, Exodus 12, 22b, all Israel's family had to harbor in their homes. Well, so too is Rahab told by the spies that she and all of those will only be saved if and only if they harbor in her home, Joshua 2 and 19. Blood. Additionally, as Israel was to take the blood of a lamb and paint this red symbol of salvation about their door frames as a condition of salvation, Exodus 12, 22a, so too do the spies tell Rahab that she will only be saved if she ties a piece of blood red scarlet and places it visibly on the outside of her window, her window which take functions as a door for the spies who escape. Joshua 2, 17 through 18. Furthermore, this scarlet, we are told, will protect Rahab and her specifically bloodshed. Joshua A sign. As this blood in Egypt is specifically referred to as a sign, and in the Greek translation of the Hebrew, it is the word simeon. That's Exodus 12, 13. So too is the scarlet, which represents blood in Rahab's house, specifically referred to as a sign. Simeon, Joshua 2, verse 12. Are you exhausted yet? There's more. A deliverance. As Israel's escape from Egypt is called a deliverance, a Yahshua, a Hebrew word that sounds exactly like the name Joshua, Exodus 14, 13. So too is Rahab's escape from Jericho achieved by God's deliverance, his Yahshua, his Yeshua, his Joshua, Joshua 6, 25. 
a bringing out. As a key term throughout the whole Exodus narrative is the Hebrew word yatzah, indicating God's desire to bring Israel out of the land of slavery. And there's a variety of texts here. Exodus 3.8, verse 11, 6.6, 12.42, and so on. So too is this Hebrew word yatzah featured several times in the Rahab story. For Joshua 2 commands that Rahab be brought out. 6.22, before her actually being brought out, 6.23. And finally, the note of three days. As Israel, once they do escape from Egypt and enter into the land of want, that is the wilderness, and they remain, they remain in a condition of want for three days, Exodus 15.22, so too do the spies, once they escape Jericho through Rahab's window, go into a place of want in a cave and remain in that place for exactly three days. Joshua 2.22. Can you see all the correspondences? And this connection between the story of Israel's exodus from Egypt, in fact, and Rahab's exodus from Jericho is made rather explicit when in Joshua 2.10, Rahab herself says, quote, we have heard how God dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came up out of Egypt. She has heard of it, and now she will herself experience it. Beloved, it's wonderful. It is beautiful. You know why Rahab is fabulously significant to Matthew? It is because Rahab is a prototype a first beacon of light, a first cast across the bow of the Gentile exodus and also of how we might get in on that exodus. As, is, as Israel, as the people of God, insiders to the promises of God, are brought out in a mighty exodus by God, so too is Rahab, an outsider to the promises of God, brought out in a mighty exodus by God. She escapes the coming calamity. In 1999, a scholar named David Dorsey noticed something uh, very fascinating about the literary artistry of Exodus through Joshua. You know, the Old Testament books can be pretty confusing for a lot of us, especially when you get into Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and all that law stuff, right? Well, there is a patterning Dorsey has discovered to all these books, friends, in a large thematic kind of way. This, um, this range from Exodus all the way to Joshua chapter 6, says Dorsey, is one giant chiasm. It's a chiasm. It is a Hebrew literary device that looks like what you see here on the screen. And how it works is that A will match A prime in some way or another, either linguistically or thematically, and then B will match B prime, There'll be a correspondence between them, and then C will match C prime, and then there'll be what they call a highlighted center, the thing that they really want you to pay attention to. So a very simple example of a chiasm happens in John 1, verse 1. Most of us are familiar with this text. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God, the highlighted center. The word was with God. And then he backs his way out, repeating the exact same things he's already said. In the beginning. 
So you can see how the chiasm works. There's a correspondence between A, A prime, B, B prime, and then there's the highlighted center. Well, what Dorsey has demonstrated, and this is fascinating, and it gives you a good grasp of Exodus through Joshua, is that this is a chiasm. It's a beautiful chiasm. So look at how this chiasm works out. In A, Hebrews are brought out of Egypt following a Passover meal, which ensues with their crossing of the Red Sea, and manna begins to fall from heaven. They experience then a wilderness journey, a time of testing prior to arriving at Sinai, where they receive the law, the blueprint for being and becoming human again. And then there's wilderness journey, testing, see prime. Then there's the crossing of the river Jordan. The manna stops. Then A, Rahab is brought out of Jericho following a Passover meal. The point is, the story of Rahab isn't just a cute story, an afterthought. It is central to the narrative of the, of the Hexateuch. You know, the Pentateuch is the first five book, books. The hex, Hexateuch is the first six books, Genesis through Joshua. It's central to that whole story, as well as to the story of Scripture, which is likely why she is only one of two women mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, the litany of the heroes of faith. Just her and Sarah. Rahab is significant, friends, because she is a prototype, a first shining example of the fact that God's intentions from the beginning was not only to lead his own people Israel out as some sort of tribal deity, some local tribal deity, and to deliver them in a mighty exodus of salvation, but God's intention since the beginning as the cosmic king of kings from the moment he chose Abraham was to deliver all people out. No matter how bad or sordid or conflicted their past, he wants not only an Israelite exodus, but a Gentile one. He wants Sarah's as well as Rahab's. And why does Matthew care about this? Well, because Matthew's whole gospel from one point of view is designed to show that a new exodus from God this self-same God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever is happening in Jesus. And that both Jews and Gentiles can get in on it. Both insiders and outsiders can get in on it and are summoned to do so. I mean, I'm not sure if you're aware of this or not, but seeing I've got the slides going, what happened here? Okay, hold on. You saw this, right? Did you guys see this already? I hope so. Okay, good. From one perspective, the whole gospel of Matthew has been designed to demonstrate that Jesus is a new and better Moses leading a new and better exodus, as well, by the way, as a conquest. The exodus and conquest are conflated into one single moment. It gives you an insight, actually, um, to the uh, salvific work of Jesus. This is why, and let me just give you a small taste of this from what could be a very large sampling, and I've read two um, dissertation-length books on this subject of Jesus as the new Moses and Matthew's gospel as a recapitulation of Israel. It's very, very well substantiated that this is what Matthew is doing. But notice some of the parallels once again, just so you can see this for yourself. Births and tyrannical king. As the Exodus story starts out with stories of births and the narration of a tyrannical king, Exodus 1 verse 8, 
So Matthew starts out with the story of birds and the narration of a tyrannical king. Matthew 2 verse 1. Killing boys. As Pharaoh gives an order to kill all of the baby boys in Egypt. Exodus 1 22. So Herod gives the order to kill all the baby boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity. Matthew 2.16. You ever thought of Herod as a new pharaoh? That's precisely how Matthew's portraying him. He's a new pharaoh. Escape from Egypt or to Egypt. As Moses escapes Pharaoh's murderous hand by running away from Egypt, Exodus 2.15, so Jesus is taken by his parents into Egypt as they run away from the new pharaoh's murderous hand, Herod, Matthew 2.13. Rescue from misery. As God tells Moses that I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. I've come down to rescue them, Exodus 3, 7 through 8. So Jesus comes on to the scene to rescue the people of God from their suffering, for, quote, a voice is heard weeping in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. And so Jesus comes on to the scene in that context, Matthew 2, 18. Water. And then as Moses goes down through the Red Sea with Israel, Exodus 14, 22, so Jesus is baptized in the Jordan by John the Baptist as a new Israel and a new Moses, Matthew 3, 16. Ready for more? A little more. I'm almost there. 40 days of fasting. As Moses is on the mountain with God for 40 days, neither eating nor drinking prior to receiving the holy law. Remember that little detail of Exodus Uh, 34 verse 28, well, so too does Jesus fast for 40 days and 40 nights Hmm. Uh, before declaring that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from, thank you, the mouth of God. And there you can see the text, Matthew 4, 2 through 4. Law on mountain, as Moses will ascend a mountain in order to receive the word of the law from the divine lawgiver, Exodus 19, 3. So Jesus will ascend a mountain and as the author of the law himself teach his disciples the deepest meaning of that law. Matthew 5, 1. Deliverance. And of course, climactically. And I'm I'm putting a lot into one slide here. As Israel is delivered out of Egypt as God's new creation people after a period of darkness and death of a firstborn on the basis of a substitute Passover lamb, Exodus 10, 22, 11, 5, 12, 3, so too does Matthew. His gospel climax in the same way as Jesus, the firstborn son of God, is crucified and a deep darkness covers all the land. And Jesus, we have already been told, is the new substitute Passover lamb when he shared the Passover with his disciples and said that this is my body and this is my blood. And Jesus does all of this, of course, prior to rising up as God's new creation with resurrection life in hand, the life of the new land flowing with milk and honey, which comes in Christ. And you can see the verses there. And the truth of what Jesus has done, Matthew underlines at the end of his gospel by saying, is that it must be preached. What Jesus has accomplished must be preached to all the nations, all God's Rahabs. Go ye into all the world, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And then notice this too. Where did you hear this before? 
and surely I am with you, I am Emmanuel, to the very end of the age. Moses, I will be with you. Joshua, I will be with you. Church, I will be with you. And so, Jesus is a new and better Moses who is spearheading a new and better exodus since he leads out from the oppression of sin and death and into the new creation of resurrection life, an exodus that welcomes and summons all people, all nations, all Rahabs to get in on it. And Rahab, beloved of God, is not only a prototype of this Gentile exodus, she is also a prototype, according to the New Testament, of how to get in on it. You know how to get in on the new exodus? The new mighty deliverance from sin and death that is being spearheaded by Jesus this Advent? And how to invite others to get in on it too? Besides, here in Matthew, Rahab is mentioned two other times in the New Testament. In the book of Hebrews, as I've already mentioned, and then also in the book of James. And you know what she is commended for in both of these texts? She's commended for two things, which really amount to one thing. She is commended for her faith that are accompanied by works that show her faith genuine. To be sure, Rahab, friends, according to the New Testament, and certified in the book of Joshua itself, gets in on the exodus of God and escapes the coming wrath of God on Jericho, just as Israel escaped the coming wrath of God against Egypt, by faith. It's Hebrews 11, 1 and following. Now faith is being sure of what is hoped for and certain of what is not yet seen. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the peeper, people, peeper, people marched around them for seven days. <laughs> Can you imagine marching around the city of Jericho for seven days? It would take a lot of faith that that was going to conquer this very walled up city. Those are quite the peeper, peeper. <laughs> By faith, the prostitute Rahab because she, have, did I say this yet? Yes, no. Uh, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. James 2, 24 through 26. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction as the body without the spirit is dead. So faith without deeds is dead. Now, what was the content of Rahab's faith? Well, Joshua 2 and 11 makes it clear. Having heard about all that the Lord, Israel's supposedly private or tribal patron God did for Israel in the Exodus and in defeating wicked yet powerful kings, Rahab has come to believe that Israel's tiny patron God is in fact not a tiny patron God among other tribal patron gods at all. But is in fact, verse 11, the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. In other words, in hearing about Israel's story, Rahab comes to believe that Israel's little God is in fact the only real God there is, the sovereign over all sovereigns. And what makes her faith biblical, folks? What makes her faith real and true? Because remember, the devil knows as much as this. But what makes Rahab's faith real and true is that despite all of the potential danger, she is willing to act with great courage on the basis of this belief 
in childlike trust to it. She lies to the king, hides spies under stalks of flax, provides a daring escape out of her own window, and then even gives them advanced directions on evading being caught. And she puts the scarlet cord in her window. Rahab's faith, we might say, works. Her faith works. It is a living faith. And it is therefore, as we get to witness an exodus, new creation delivering faith. She's incorporated into the people of Israel, the family of God in the world, and made heiress to Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And it is, as you can already see in this text, Matthew 3, 7 through 10, it's by embracing this same sort of faith, a faith that works, that we too can get in on the new exodus being spearheaded by God's new and better Moses the lawgiver Jesus. This is a constant theme in the gospel of Matthew itself. I'm not going to read through this Matthew 3, 7 through 10. It's been on the screen long enough. But out of Jesus' mouth, Matthew 5, verse 10, uh, 20. On the sermon, in his Sermon on the Mount, he says, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. They had faith, but it was not accompanied with works. Or at the end of his Sermon on the Mount address, in Matthew 7, 21, 26 through 27, Jesus says these tough words. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, us Protestants tend to get a little antsy with texts like this because it can start to sound like works righteousness. It begins to sound like we're saved not by faith alone, but by faith combined with works, or it begins to sound like we'll only be saved if we achieve some kind of human perfectionism. And that's really scary because most of us know ourselves and just how far we fall short. And this is why we need to get the emphasis right, folks. Faith without works, as James, the brother of Jesus, says, is dead. That is positively true. And it's true because if you have faith from the Spirit of God, if you really believe that Jesus loves you and died for you and is coming to rescue you from the coming destruction of this world, then this faith, this belief will naturally produce a certain response in you. In the same way that your winning of a lottery ticket might make you jump up and down or then go a bunch, buy a bunch of stuff and give a whack of money away, so too when the gospel has really penetrated your heart and you believe it, it possesses you and it's going to have an effect. You're going to love others, you're going to be grateful, you're going to want to obey God and glorify him and do what he says. You won't do it perfectly to be sure, but you're going to want to do it and seek to do it all the time. True faith works. This is one of the reasons why we always need to return to the heart of the gospel, which is about Jesus' substitutionary death on our behalf, undertaken because of his amazing love for us. Nothing motivates a faith that works like this. Nothing is more liberating than this. To remember the central truth, the truth that just as there was nothing in Rahab's past, for example, 
that could prevent the Lord from making her his own, from redeeming her and making her his bride. So there's nothing in our past that can prevent the living Lord from making us his own too, making us his bride. You want to know something really cool in conclusion? Super cool. It is one more parallel. I really want you to see this. Rahab's influence in scripture and in biblical tradition is far bigger than we have ever given it credit for. And this is recognized in the early church. Watch this. In the book of Joshua, and I'm not going to do slides here, so just try to follow along with your imagination. In the book of Joshua, Joshua is commanded to march with Israel, the priests in front, blowing their trumpet for seven days. And on the seventh day, they are to march around seven days. On the seventh day, seven times. It's a seven within a seven. And then the people of Israel are on that seventh day, the seventh time around to let off a loud shout and the walls will fall down. And then as Israel obeys, it goes just like this. And you'll see that the narration in Joshua reiterates this. It wants to get this pattern in your head. Trumpets are blown while marching around the city for seven days and then seven times on the seventh day. The people let off a loud shout and the city of Jericho collapses. All are destroyed for their sin except Rahab the prostitute who is delivered in the seventh seven. And she's brought out and made the bride of Israel or ahead of time, the bride of Christ. Now, Watch this. Matthew, as I pointed out last week and underlined at the beginning of the message today, tells us that Jesus comes onto the scene as the one who begins the seventh set of seven sets of generations indicating Jesus' climactic and consummating work that is about to take place. Indeed, his new exodus, which is a new conquest, a leading into a new promised land, the new heavens and new earth. And just after Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem in Matthew's gospel, where he will enact his magnificent defeat in Matthew 21, 31. Apparently for no reason, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you Pharisees because they have believed. What is Matthew doing? Why mention a prostitute at this point? There's been no narration of a prostitute in the entire gospel of Matthew. Well, Matthew does it subtly. What the story of Joshua and Rahab, John does far more explicitly in the apocalypse, what we call the book of Revelation. Did you know that the entire book of Revelation can be seen from a bird's eye perspective as a retelling of the defeat of Jericho, redemption of Rahab? Revelation is gospel. This is why it is organized. You can check this out later. And sevens within sevens, that climaxes with here the blowing of seven trumpets, and then with seven bulls poured out within these seven trumpets, a loud shout leads to the destruction of Babylon that is called the great prostitute. Ha! Sound familiar? And yet, that's not it. Because as we get into Revelation 21, although there was a prostitute, there is now a bride. We are to understand. This bride is the redeemed Rahab. And we are also, and she is us. The church. Those who have come to faith in Christ. Those who have come out of our idolatry. Those who John tells us have been made clean and spotless in the blood of the Lamb. We have come under Jesus' door. We have come into Jesus' house. We are covered now by his blood. 
our new Joshua, our new Yeshua, Jesus. And we have been invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Friends, in Rahab this Advent, as we anticipate the coming of Christ again, we are to see ourselves and what is held out for us by way of promise. We have been saved because of Joshua, Jesus' love. And simply because of our faith, our faith that can do no other because we have seen this great love than exactly what Rahab did, to live with courage and boldness in true faith. Because what else could we do in response to the love we have received? The love of Jesus is a love that changes us. So this Advent, let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus as the author of Hebrews tells us, the author and perfecter of our faith. Perfecter indeed. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Willoughby Church Sermon Podcast. The Willoughby Church Podcast Network also has podcasts about discipleship, the Heidelberg Catechism, and even a podcast hosted by some of the youth. You can find out more about the Willoughby Church Podcast Network by going to willoughbychurch.com.